0: This is episode 79, and we have a very special guest on today. So as you're going to see him in a few minutes, uh, but first of all, I want to introduce you to him. His name is Hans Strugina. Uh, uh, I said I'm not going to mess it up, so I hope I didn't. <laughs> Close, right? So he's, he accomplished so many different things. Uh, I don't even know where to start, but he was uh, part of the Team USA Olympian uh, so that's that. Luxury realtor in San Francisco Bay Area. Realtor partner for Wall Street jur- uh, Journal t- uh, top 100 team. Sales volume ranking in the top 1.5% of ag- agents locally. Multifamily real estate investor. Host of uh, another way to play podcast. So make sure you go and find that on, Ant- on iTunes. I'm sure it's there. And co-founder of Streamlined Podcasts uh so again he mentioned a few things that uh, he speaks out uh, on a topics uh, when it comes to the podcast so we're gonna cover those and probably some uh, from your bio but first of all Hans I just want to say a big thank you and uh, you know for being on the show today I appreciate it
1: hey and absolutely I appreciate you reaching out uh really excited to be here so thank you so it's Stru- struzina you got it
0: awesome awesome That's, it's very important man like surname. so listen um where so where do we start? I mean, because uh like I don't know where your start of the journey started for you was it first the real estate was it the uh, you know the the fitness the you when you become a professional athlete so like what, what yeah. started for you first?
1: Well, I appreciate you calling me a professional athlete because i I think of myself as professional athlete, but I didn't get paid so <laughs> makes it hard to be professional when you're not getting paid anything right um yeah man i I guess it all started really with my getting into rowing because without that I wouldn't be in a lot of the situations I'm in now but um, you know rowing uh, as as many people can imagine is a very fringe sport it's a prep sport it's not a common uh, activity to get into um, just in general and so uh, we I grew up in the Seattle Washington area Pacific Northwest and, and one defining characteristic of the Northwest is that it rains a lot but as a result there's also a lot of water around so there's lakes pretty much everywhere and they're very visible um, when you're just driving to and from wherever. So you see you physically see the sport of rowing a lot more in that uh, geography than you would uh, at really anywhere else in the country. So It was always a thing that was around, people knew it, people knew of the University of Washington's rowing team has a really strong uh, rowing history. So we got into it as a family, uh, let's see, one summer, I think it was 2003, just as a family activity to try and do. Um, And long story short, it was pretty fun. We took some lessons and I joined the rec team, which was like a three week chunk of the summer um, that culminated in a race. I was enjoying it. I was late to grow. So I really honestly was probably one of the smaller kids and I wasn't really into playing basketball and football and all that other stuff anymore. Um, mostly because I, (laughs) I got outgrown by everybody else. So it was a, it was a tough, um, contact sport to be the smaller person. So I, I tried rowing in the fall. Found out that I had a pretty decent knack for it, had some good scores and some good success fairly early, although i wasn 't in love with it until almost a first full year into the sport uh, when i when I got into some of the spring and summer racing stuff, and when I hit those i was I was hooked it just something about the two two thousand meter race being in a, in a boat with a bunch of other people you know, eight or four other people. Uh And just the exertion, the teamwork, all that stuff really just clicked for me. And and from there, I just I just kept going with it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That That's a that's a fun thing. Because I used to do rowing as well for a little bit. I remember back in the school days. uh I just grabbed a few of my schoolmates and was like, hey, let's go and try this thing out. And yeah, the coach was like, you're you're the strong guy go in the middle. So
1: yeah, exactly.
0: It, it, it was fun. It was fun. Good fun, definitely. So, please, do Do, do you want to continue? Because I want to ask you about, uh, again, as you mentioned, like, topics. One of the topics that you speak is, you know, achieving that excellence at the elite level, which is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: again, like, we're talking about, again, 1%. Like, we're talking the top of the top, right? Like, the elite, like, uh, the elite level. Because, as you mentioned, there's a lot of professional people who are, you know, doing sports, like you can see a lot of people right, right now, like on Instagram, they're, you know, mm-hmm. fitness trainers, like my wife, she's a professional fitness trainer, you know, like with all due respect, uh, I don't think she's close to being like top of the 1%. She's never been into, you know, uh, Olympian games and stuff like Like The people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. go to that level, they're the top percent. So, But the question is, how do you become that? Like, can you include the mindset part also? How do you get them that yeah, zone of course. to reach those type of goals?
1: Yeah, man. Well, the short answer is, you know, one step at a time. Because I think, especially when you get on Instagram and Facebook and any of these other mediums, it's really easy to get intimidated by titles and by status and by success. Because, I mean, frankly, let's be real. We all put our best foot forward on our podcasts, on our social media accounts, even when we're just going out to, to be social out in the world. It's all roses and wonderful. Um, and, and oftentimes you, what you're looking at is the result of it, especially like in my case is a 12 year rowing career. Like you say Olympian, but that was literally the last, like two months of my rowing career. I was an Olympian out of 12 plus years, you know, so it was a long process along the way. And, and to really answer your question, the way I like to think about this is, is simply maximizing the step that you're on and then figuring out what the next thing that's just a little bit out in front of you is um so for me the it was you know just making the the high school team and then making the varsity in the high school team once i was successful there it was uh you know trying to get recruited to college and then once i got to college making the freshman team then making the varsity team from there and just kind of figuring out what that next not small step but the next kind of thing that's directly in front of you because if i wanted to go from high school rower to olympic games it's probably not going to happen sport you know rowing is a sport that requires a lot of effort and time and you just have to develop your cardiovascular system and uh, all your skills and everything right so so that's really the way that i broke that down and then once i retired from sport that's simply what i put into practice in my in my professional career is like okay what is the next thing that's in front of me, you know, making your first sale when you get into real estate making, um, you know, then it's like, okay, what if we can make a sale a month, then what if, and then, then it's like making, you know, your first hundred thousand dollars in income or whatever those next things are for you. As opposed to thinking, I want to be top 1% today, even though I just started, um, at Breaking that stuff down is, is so critical because it keeps you engaged, keeps you in, you know, in the pursuit, but it also keeps you um, excited because you start racking up these wins.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I love it. I love it. Again, uh, like one of the things, because uh, I want to ask you this next question and uh, I have people on my show before that were previously, you know, professional people in the sports fields, you know, like one of the Mm -hmm. guests that was a professional rugby rugby player who played for a big, uh, you know, UK English team. So, and he played for a long time, uh, you know, countless years. And then he found out it was very difficult for him to make that transition from being a professional athlete to a business world. So Mm -hmm. again, my question will be, what was your experience with that? Because you mentioned one of the things that you talk about is perseverance through failure. So maybe you mm-hmm. can talk about that and your transition from you know being a pro athlete towards you know becoming a realtor for you know luxury selling luxury properties in San Francisco.
1: Yeah. So the so the answer is uh, when we went to the Olympic Games, we uh, went with the aspirations of a medal, and on paper, and even based on some of our results through the games, we we were definitely in a spot to, to medal. You know, and then it comes down to how do you perform on the day with the A final. And we ended up fourth. So we were just outside the medals. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But me stepping out of that, coming home, and then trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, uh, I mean, frankly, I carried this mindset of failure around with me for the entire next year and a half, I guess, or, or thereabouts. Um, and it really took a toll on me because number one, I was at the tippy top of something. It happened to be rowing. And no matter what, I was gonna have to come down and be a newbie all over again at something else, whether, and it happened to be real estate in this case. Um, but some, it was, I was gonna have to start over again. I, I knew that I could probably ascend again faster because I had put in all this work becoming really good at rowing, but I knew I'd have to start over again. Um, so there was sort of this depression moment of starting over and kind of sucking at something and having this thing of failure that I went all the way to the top of this, you know, of the rowing mountain, if you will, and I still failed. And so it took me a long time to about a year and a half. And I think it was a combination of a therapist I was working with at the time, life coach, my my girlfriend, who's now my wife, friends, all those people kind of talking to me to me about this and eventually getting the idea in my head that do you want your moment, um, your, you know, your five and a half minutes in the Olympics to define 12 years of your life, or is it going to be a part of that experience? Um, and I realized like, man, I had learned a lot. I made some amazing people. I did some really amazing things. Um, no, I don't want this to define my life. And that was the critical shift for me to then unlock a lot more opportunity and potential. Because then I started seeing myself as someone who had succeeded and done a lot of really good stuff. And yeah, came up short on the one day for five and a half minutes by just a couple seconds in the Olympics. Um, But that I was capable of all these great things. And then I started to See those opportunities as opportunities as, as opposed to like another opportunity to fail, right? Um, and from there, it just, it frankly kept snowballing. It, it wasn't just like overnight and I was killing it all of a sudden, but it was, it shifted me in a different direction of, uh, of becoming a team member on the Gunderman Group, of, you know, doing some real estate investing, starting a podcast, and some of these other things that I've done. Um, but it all really started from that mentality shift.
0: Got it. Well, that, that's a very powerful message again. The, and the importance of having the right people, you know, in your circle, which, you know, mm-hmm. it sounds like these people kind of guided you to the, you know, to the right direction. And what you said is very, powerful. You know, don't let your, those 12 years to determine like that one failure, don't, don't let that failure to determine your 12 years of hard work and, you know, dedication, so it's very powerful message, you know, for people who got that. So can you talk about you know shifting towards real estate and who got you, uh, who came up with that idea? I mean, was it, was it somebody from the family who said, "Hey, you should go and explore the real estate investing side"? Like, who who told you to to try these things? And how, like, what have you uh, looked uh, in? Like, in the marketplace, have you looked? You know, starting a business. Like, why did you choose this path in particular?
1: Yeah, uh, real estate was always a a part of my family. Um, my, My grandfather and several of my uncles were heavily involved in the commercial real estate, specifically in development in Seattle, Washington, where I grew up. My dad is a real estate attorney. His brother owns a handful of apartment buildings out on the East Coast in Philadelphia. So it's always sort of just been in my world in some capacity. And so I always kind of thought that this was an area that I wanted to at least try um, to be in, but no one was ever in the residential sales side. Everyone was on the commercial you know, office space and buildings and all that stuff. So when I got out of, uh, when I came back from Rio, I thought, I know I'm gonna go into real estate somewhere. I I know I need to get my license and do all these sorts of things because this is definitely a career path I wanna try. and honestly, I thought about and I, and I had an opportunity to go into a small uh, commercial brokerage run by a couple of rowers who I was very good friends with. They were older than me. but um, And I tried that for a week or two. And I just it was I wasn't ready to go sit in an office, dress up and um, kind of do a more formal nine to five thing. And so I actually had an opportunity uh, in parallel with this to go to my um, actually had a, a friend in San Diego who was basically our Airbnb host when we'd go for training trips, who they, uh, he's a real estate agent, his wife's a real estate agent. They were flipping houses and selling houses had a pretty good lifestyle. And so I said, Hey, you know, what do you do and how do you do this? And, and they brought me down, talked to me about their business model and basically made me an offer to, to start, uh, selling real estate with their model and their back end but I would just be up here and they would be in San Diego. So I was doing it all remote and it seemed really flexible. It seemed an opportunity that I could get into real estate, give it a shot, potentially make some money, you know, see if I really liked this. And then also if I wanted to go back and train, could do that. Ultimately I didn't go back and train and I kept rolling with the real estate stuff. So, um, but that's kind of a long answer to your short question on, on how I got into it.
0: Yeah, no, that is awesome. That is a great story also. Uh, listen. The question that I want to ask again: There's maybe some people who are watching this episode, and there, maybe they are currently in a similar situations as you've been. Uh, maybe they're a professional athlete. Maybe they did something with the fitness, whatever that might be, in, in sports industry, right? And now they're looking to transition due to the COVID or whatever reasons that might be. So, right. how did you applied? You know, like when it comes to the mindset and you know, like your work ethic, all these things that you had crafted in all these 12 years. What did you apply for, for the business when you started to work as a realtor to become that one and a half percent of the local, uh, you know, realtors?
1: It's, it's the stuff that most of us think is either cliche or we take for granted in some capacity. Uh, the things that make you really good at sport are coachability, uh, dedication, hard work, you know, all the stuff that goes on a poster, right? But when you really dial into what that actually meant and like how you applied those things and then you figure out how to then take that into any career, um, it, it, I mean, it's so applicable. It's not even funny. Like if you're coachable, if you're someone who can really just kind of put your head down and grind and put in some hours to, to learn something and perfect something, you can take feedback uh, and apply it, you know, well, if you can, um, you know, show up before anyone else and after anyone else follow up, do all those sorts of things. Like it's just what you did at practice. It's just, you're doing it at a different, in a different, uh, arena, like seriously, just taking those very basic things that, you know, from your sport and just applying it to this new skill that you're trying to learn, whether it's sales or real estate or whatever, Um, because frankly, nothing is that complicated, uh, in sort of that sales real estate world. It's us, it's people, it's our mindset that really tries to complicate it. Um, so if you can take, take that and, and try and figure out how you can apply that and what that looks like into your new world, coupled with trying to get a mentor of some kind, whether it's someone you work for directly or just someone who you talk to, you know, once a week, once a month to sort of be your coach, if you will. Um, it's you're just playing a different sport all of a sudden.
0: Mm, got it. Yeah. The importance of mentorship as one of the things that you're always discussing in a podcast, which is, you know, is, is very important having somebody close to you. Because like, you, you know, and you know that more than me, you know, because you've been doing a professional, you know, sport for 12 years, which is intense coaching. <laughs> That's what you get because mm-hmm. I used to do athletics, different sports myself. So I do understand the impact and it doesn't matter if it's sports, it, it's business, you know, everybody who is great at what they do, everybody has a coach. So having that, you know, and uh, as, as you said, you know, the, the being coachable is, is so, so important. So that is awesome. So I want to ask you a question. You came across uh, multifamily investing. So the question will be, how did you Mm -hmm. came across multifamily real estate? Well, uh, and how did you decide to invest out of the state? Well, I guess for me, it's obvious reason because, you know, San Francisco is just way too overpriced, but maybe you can tell the story in a better way.
1: Yeah, so... uh, I, again, the real estate thing always was in my, in my head and I, and I always knew that I wanted to, to own rental properties and to try that out as an investing strategy and a wealth building strategy. Um, so I spent a lot of time when I was training, listening to podcasts, you know, in between when I was driving to and from practice or when I, I was working for a lot of it. So I'd be driving to and from sales calls, I'd listen to bigger pockets and some other real estate podcasts. Um, in an effort to try and understand the basics. And so, you know, over a handful of years and reading books and listening to podcasts, just started to understand this at a very basic level. And so once I was done competing and rowing, you know, full time, I found myself in in an area in a way that I could, you know, start to actually do this full time um and then obviously you need to have some income and have some have some money to to put into it in one way or another so once my wife and i uh because she's also an olympic athlete uh, kind of wow. built up our our uh our income and our and some money that we could invest we got serious about okay what market and we of course wanted to start locally and we decided we wanted cash flow and this is what i talk about to anyone who's thinking about starting in uh, real estate is figure out what your, what your goal is. What does it, what end does it need to meet? What is it going to serve for you? Um, And we decided we wanted residual income. So for us, uh, we needed to start writing, underwriting properties to look at like, what's all the expenses, uh, what's the income and how much is going to leave at the end. And we had a number in mind that we wanted to hit. And we looked at, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 properties here locally that we could drive to and and nothing was making sense except for in the really, really rough neighborhoods. So we didn't want to do that. Then we went a little farther out to Sacramento, about an hour and a half away. We started to see some stuff that was okay, but not totally lighting us up. Then we were like, okay, well, if we're just going to be that far out, like why don't we look at some other markets? So we were looking actually at Kansas City. We decided that we would eat up half a year's cash flow just flying out there. And so financially, that was silly. And long story short, we we were like, where do we go anyways that has a good market near it or in it that we can invest in? And we decided I'm from Seattle. We go up there three, four times a year to see family and friends anyways. And there's a, a market just South of Seattle called Tacoma. So we started looking there and we started finding deals and we found, know took us 40 or 50 properties to look through but they were all way better than everything else we were seeing and then we found one so we decided uh made an offer walked through it did the inspections and closed on it and that was our first our first deal and because we go up there like i said once a quarter almost anyways now we write that whole trip off we go look at more real estate when we go up we see our friends and family we go check on the properties um and it's and it's all a write off, and, and we kind of get a vacation out of it, anyways, too. So it's it's pretty cool um, that we we found a, a thing that meets our cash flow needs, but also kind of fits into our lifestyle in a, in a really perfect way. So we were we were that's how we ended up deciding to go out of state.
0: Got it, got it. Awesome, awesome. You know, you you're pursuing uh, something which is uh, again a great asset class to be in, like multifamily. There's a lot of people. Going after it right now, and the fact that you found it. So, can you talk about uh, the the deal a little bit? Like, how big it, how big was it? How many units?
1: Uh, it's two units. So it was just a our very first one, two units. Uh, each one is a two bed, one bath. I th- we bought it at two hundred forty five thousand, and it's not. It uh, then we fixed it up. I think we put somewhere around fifty thousand into it, and it's now worth i'm not sure exactly but 370 380 range so we you know there's a decent spread there but it was a i mean a it was what we could afford at the time and b it got us in the in the door because the first deal is never going to make you rich it's Mm -hmm. never going to be the only deal you do and so obviously you just want to get in and start learning and start get understanding how this all works Um, with the understanding that it's an education just as much as it's an investment. And obviously you want to find a good, uh, a good investment in the beginning. You don't want to just buy anything, but you definitely, if you can find something that makes money on your first deal, you're, you're doing pretty well in my opinion.
0: Yeah, got it. So the, I have a couple of questions uh, more on a, on a deal itself. Like, did it took a lot of capital for you to put uh, like for the renovations, how the property looked like uh, when, you, when you saw it in, in the first place?
1: Yeah, property was gross when we saw it the first time. One of the units was like just really outdated and kind of beaten on the other unit, um, which is the one we, we took with the tenants in it. Uh, they were smoking in there. They were really just dirty people. Um, but we had to ride it out with them for six months just because of how long their lease was, uh, the the last bit of their lease. So it was something that was actually sitting on the market for almost nine months by the time we found it because everyone else saw it and for whatever reason wanted less money, but duplexes in that area were selling for about 300,000 at the time. This one, they had discounted to 245,000, assuming that it needed about 50 grand of work. And that was just the number they wanted. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that makes sense. We can handle that. And so we ran all of our numbers and um, it was about right. It was about 50,000 that we needed to put into this thing. And the biggest mindset shift that we had, because I was always thinking, because I was doing some flips at that time, flipping houses. And I was thinking you need to do it all at once as quickly as possible, And our agent um, said, you know, you can do this over like three or four stages. You don't have to do it all at once, a hundred percent. And when we made that realization, um, we are like, okay, right now we can do one unit. We get a new tenant in there. Then we, in six months, do the next unit. And that that keeps our cash flow or our cash outlay reasonable as well as uh, keeps, Keeps the property moving, keeps it occupied, and then uh, ultimately gets us in about a year to where we want to be cash flow wise.
0: How do you manage uh, tenants, uh, you know, while having a, a long distance property at the same time?
1: Yeah, so we have been fortunate enough to find people, oftentimes who have actually been our tenants, who are handy and can handle some of the little things like getting the keys turned over and, you know, letting people in and going and assessing little fixes here and there. So we've, we've always made sure we have someone we can trust who's on the ground, um, who's physically there. And then for the rest of it, I mean, there are so many online platforms for tenant screening, rent collection, maintenance requests. So all of it's digital, you know, we, we have all our payments done digitally and, um, it's really easy with the, with the amount of software that's out there uh, that, it, I mean, gosh, it's, it's sort of silly to, to not have to manage your, your rentals. And I think at a, a certain point, you should manage your own just to know what you're doing and know what it's like. Um, so that, that way, if you then scale it up and you get too many rentals, then you can hire somebody, but at least you know what you're hiring for.
0: Got it. And can you mention a couple of these softwares for, for people to maybe take a note? So, you know, for when it comes to, the yeah. And- um,
1: cozy is the one that we use. We really like cozy a lot. Um, we also, uh, I have a buddy who'd uh, uh, who's been on my podcast before, uh, who's the CEO of a company called avail. They do uh, a really fantastic job with, with their software as well. Got and, it. and uh so you check those out. I mean, there's a handful more. Those are the ones that I know the best, and I, I have good opinions of. Got it. Awesome. So,
0: and the, and the last question on a, on a deal: what what is the current NOI on the property? Like, how much
1: is it generating income? I think that one's kicking off about six hundred bucks a month right now, in cash flow. I'm sorry. Yep. Yep. Um, which Which. You know, we're, we're going through a refinance on this one right now. We're gonna pull some, some capital out of it and probably try and buy another one soon. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's cash flowing very well, better than what we expected because rents have gone up above where we originally thought they were. And um, a quick quick tip that we have found for, for finding tenants and, and adding just a little bit of extra income that's easy is allowing pets. We're pet owners. We know how people are, especially if you get good people, that's obviously a, a, you have to get good, solid people with good backgrounds and histories and rental histories and all that stuff. But if you then allow those people to have a pet, number one, there's not many landlords who will. So you just, you have all these pet owners who want to come to you and two, you can charge a premium for it. Um, Mm. So you can get your rent plus the pet rent, and then you just put it in your lease that if the dog or cat or whatever damages something, then it's on the, the tenant and it's pretty, pretty straightforward at, at that point. But, you know, I found that that, um, that is a huge, huge opportunity. If you're not doing it, start doing it because it separates you in a big way.
0: Good. So listen, I want to talk about the podcast again because uh, you have a podcast which is called Another Way to Play. Uh, so make Mm -hmm. sure people who are watching go and check it out that and subscribe on iTunes leave a comment you know what you think about that but can you talk about the podcast why did you create the podcast why is it important to have one how people can set it up and what you what you're talking about in your personal podcast
1: yeah so kind of two questions but I'll answer them this way (laughs) Uh, podcast is called another way to play Uh, on that show we talk about Uh, mindset specifically. In the beginning, I was talking to anybody, but mostly entrepreneurs and business people who, um, they would share their stories of how they got started. Uh, Because I think a lot of people want to talk about the Instagram, what I'm doing awesome today, but like everyone started somewhere. So I was always interested in that story. Um, And then through the first roughly hundred episodes that I did, I realized there was a common theme, which was mindset. Everyone had a really strong mindset. And it was something that I, I, I work on every single day. And so I shifted the, the conversation recently t- towards mindset. So we talk about how they develop their mindset, lessons they learn, stories along the way um, of how they got to where they are, um, and and how they protect their mindset and all that kind of stuff. So that's what we talk about there it's really um i think it's a great show of course but um you know I, I i'm fortunate to have some really wonderful guests and some great conversations there um which leads me to why you should have one uh i was thinking for a very long time about you know content creation game you know I follow gary Vanderchuk and any any sort of guru or whatever you want to call them they'll tell you you need to put out content but that's really daunting if you've never done it before and that's how i felt when i first started and then i was thinking i'll i'll do a vlog i'll do a facebook live every week i'll do you know what i'll do something but it never really was compelling enough until i heard of this guy travis chapel who has the build your network podcast and he was being interviewed on on the real estate investing podcast bigger pockets and he basically said the reason to start a podcast, isn't necessarily to grow an audience. That is a reason, but it's not the reason. The best reason is because it will help you leverage your network into a higher level one. So he was basically saying, start a show around a topic and an audience that you're interested in, but focus more on who you're trying to bring on the show as a guest and use that opportunity to ask the questions you'd want to ask, build a relationship with that person and, and, and then you can basically in, uh, increase your network by saying, hey, would you come on my show? I want to talk to you about real estate investing. Um, that is a way different ask than saying, hey, would you have lunch with me? I want to talk to you about real estate investing, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a tool that I've used to, to build a bigger and better network, um, which I can absolutely sh- uh, tell you that has made me money, has made me more friends, has made me, all these amazing opportunities that I never would have had, would I not have started it?
0: Again, it's very important, you know, to have a podcast definitely agree with you hundred percent. And that's why I have mine is again, for the same reasons, you know, just to have awesome people on, which again, at the same time, even like during the COVID times, even even there's people, let's say somewhere in Ireland, in different part of Ireland, maybe I can go and meet them personally right now, you know, but doing that through the podcast, I mean, if I'm going to have a lunch with somebody, and I'm gonna ask them awesome questions. I'm gonna get all the answers, right? But when you have a person just like yourself on a show, everybody's gonna get an answer. Like whoever is gonna watch the show, show is gonna get those golden nuggets that they can go and apply imply, you know, in their business and their personal life, relationships, you know, investments, all of the all of the good stuff, you know. So so it's important to share. You know, at the same time. So, can you talk about uh, again? Because you co-founded uh, the service, which is called Streamlined Podcasts. So, again, mm-hmm. can you talk about that? What do you guys do? What what service uh, do you provide for businesses?
1: Yeah. So, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, um, I was I was working on getting really lean on my expenses, realizing we don't know how, what, what's going to happen. You know, real estate. Everyone was freaking out. We didn't know if market was going to tank or what so i said okay i need to find all i need to get all my expenses cut down and be as lean as possible if i'm going to spend money i need to know that it's um the the most return i can possibly get and i was realizing that i felt like i was spending too much on my podcast um and obviously not making direct revenue from it so i said okay how do i how do i either reduce this number or get more return more value out of the number that i'm spending and that's when I started talking to a couple of fellow podcasters who were feeling the same way. So we all said, let's get together and see if we can basically reduce the cost of all of our shows combined. And we we were able to figure out a way to do it. And then in that process, we're like, hey, I think we can build a business on this. So that is really where Streamline Podcast was born. We, we have now um, built out a system where we can, uh, I believe we are the uh, highest value, lowest cost uh, podcast post production company on the market right now. I mean, I, I, I can honestly say that almost all of our competitors charge about twice as much for what we charge. And I think we deliver way, way more um, value and, and deliverables and that sort of thing. So uh, that's really where it came from. And what we do is, you know, you record your files, you send it to us. And then, you know, 48, 72 hours later, we can have it uploaded as a draft into your Libsyn or your, you know, your Acast or whatever your uploading f- uh, folder is um, on the internet, and and it's ready to rock and roll, and you don't have to touch it. Just getting the podcast edited and the show notes written, you know, I was spending oh. at least five hundred bucks a month to to produce the show, which oh. you know isn't isn't a ton, admittedly, but I was again thinking like there's got to be a way to really you know, supercharge this. And so now, and then I said, can we do this for like a hundred bucks a month? And how how do we do it if we can? And that's that's ultimately where where Streamline was born. And, and now we, we have really driven the cost of post-production down significantly. We don't do video yet. Um, that is the next thing we're gonna tackle, but we wanted to build uh, the capability of handling, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shows every week um just for the podcast and then once once we think we're very close to having that pretty much perfected um, now uh at that point we're going to be able to get into you know video production and um you know social media graphics so that's all stuff that we're we're actively working on now
0: what do you have set for yourself for you know this year because it's still not over you know i think Mm -hmm. this year brought even though the covid all these problems are here they brought some new opportunities at the same time. So, what do you have for, for yourself? Set so for this year and for the upcoming year? Can you share some of that?
1: Well, a couple of things, especially once the uh, pandemic hit, um, I was listening a lot to uh, to Gary Keller. He has a really great podcast, which he doesn't release all the time, but they release you know three or four episodes at a time, um, several times a year. It's called uh, Think Like a CEO. And one of the things he kept talking about, especially for real estate agents, was being digitally based and physically enhanced. Whereas most businesses, you know, forget real estate—just businesses—are physically based and digitally enhanced. So he said, "Now that we're all stuck inside, how can you deliver your service, your product digitally, and then have a physical enhancement?" Um, for real estate agents, we were all about open houses, and and that was a a a big part of our business for a long time. Like that's how you got a lot of your clients. That's how you got to meet new new people out in the world. Um, that's gone obviously now that COVID's up. So how do we go find people? How do we get our message out? How do we advertise properties? All that sort of stuff. Um, and it really forced me to start getting digital. So I started a YouTube channel. I, I doubled down on the podcast. I started a bi-weekly newsletter. I started really getting serious about my social media presence and growing that and providing valuable content as well as just, you know, my brand and putting myself out there more. Um, and so business goals, you know, that, that was a huge one. Is getting digitally based in a, in a very physical world, which is real estate. Um, and, and I've committed to that for this year and I'm going to continue to do that into uh, in perpetuity, frankly. Um, but as far as like my actual goals, you know, we, it was a goal of ours to buy a, a property a year and we're on, on track for that. We've, we've bought one, one property a year. Um, and then as far as my, my real estate goals, I have done quite well in the, in the world of COVID, um very fortunate to have a lot of clients who, who trust me and trust our team so I'm, I'm actually am uh, setting a personal record this year and my, my goal was to get well inside the top 1% of agents and I've now um, probably will be able to say hit that this year and then next next year I really want to get you know in the top half a percent.
0: For the people who would love to get in contact with you what will be those uh, you know social media platforms to do so?
1: Yeah, man. Uh, Instagram is where I'm definitely most active. Um, You can also find me on LinkedIn and all those others, but Instagram is where I like to spend the most time, and that's at Chief Snah. That's spelled S-N-A-H. That's Hans backwards, and then my website, of course, is hansstruzina.com.
0: Awesome, awesome. And of course, guys, as always, those links are gonna be down below, so it's easy for you just to click and, and go. Make sure definitely. Follow Hans on Instagram and again uh, Facebook go to search, search the uh, you know the website uh, of course, for the streamline podcast. If you think you need that type of service, go in and check it out his website. You know, I really appreciate today's show, Hans. It's been really great, like a lot of great insights. And again, being a professional athlete, I think a lot of people, as I spoke before in the beginning, there's a lot of people who are are involved into, you know, being an athlete, coach, trainer. There's a lot of people, I think, who, who will get inspired by, you know, your journey into, you know, into the fitness you know athletics world being as a professional athlete and then moving towards business world which uh, by the way it looks you're crushing it also so i think uh, you know a lot of people are going to get inspired by that so thank you for the message you know for today
1: definitely and you know just cap it off like you see someone like myself who's got this crazy resume and stuff um remember like we all started somewhere and, it, and you can start where you're at and start to rack up wins and move in a direction, but don't let the fact that you're not to a level that someone else is be the determining factor to get started. Like, Make sure that you're, you're identifying those small wins for yourself and how you can move yourself forward and, and you will find that that takes you in a really amazing place if you keep linking that together day after day
0: here you go that's the best way to close it right so again guys just one uh, the one thing that i want to ask you just to share this episode with a friend that you think might need to hear this message that's all i'm asking again go and follow hans on the on the social medias go and check it out these websites and as always i'm going to see you in the next episode thank you for watching <laughs>